41 verse passage and a lot's happening in that. So I don't want you to look at your bulletin and panic thinking we're gonna be here until 1.30. Uh, we'll only be here until one o'clock, no. We'll get you out, but we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll get it all done. Um, as we get ready to worship, I'm gonna ask the ladies and gentlemen to come up. I'd like you to listen to the words of the song. I'd like you to sing them. But sometimes we can sing and not even listen to ourselves, right? Uh, but pay attention to the words. We're looking at one of Jesus' miracles today where he gives sight to a blind man. So as we go through uh, the worship music, would you just keep that in the back of your mind? If you're able to, would you please stand? Morning, church. So Charles Wesley wrote O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing to celebrate. Hmm? What? Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'm way ahead of myself. Great Lord of everything, we welcome you into our hearts this morning. We praise you and worship you as we sing about your shining countenance. Please show us how, to, how you want us to live. Help us to understand the lessons taught to us by our pastor. You are the ideal being, and we who were made in your image should walk in your ways. And help bring others, and help walk in your ways and help bring others to you. Lord, we beseech thee, Show us how to cast off the darkness of worldly passions and cling to the goodness that your most holy name espouses. And we pray this all of our days. Amen. Your love is shining in the midst of the darkness shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine.
Jesus shine Fill this land with the Father's glory Place, Spirit, place Set our hearts on fire Flow, river, flow Flood the nations With grace and mercy kingly brightness so our faces display your likeness ever changing from glory to glory mirrored here may our lives tell your story shine on me shine on me shine Jesus shine fill this land Wesley wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, to celebrate the first anniversary of his conversion on uh, White Sunday, 1738. It was inspired by a Moravian friend, Peter Bowler, who had remarked to him, If I had a thousand tongues to sing, I would praise Christ with all of them. The words set the poet's heart aglow, and to celebrate the anniversary, he wrote the hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, Tears, tis life and health and peace. 
breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulness clean. His blood availed for me. Thank you, Lord. The Greyhound thrashed about in the North Atlantic uh, storm for over a week. Its canvas sails were ripped, and the wood on one side of the ship had torn away and splintered. The sailors had little hope for survival, but they mechanically worked the pumps, trying to keep the vessel afloat. On the 11th day of the storm, sailor John Newton was too exhausted to pump. So he, tie, he was tied to the helm and tried to hold the ship on its course. From 1 o'clock until midnight, he was at the helm. With the storm raging fiercely, Newton had time to think. His life seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship he was trying to steer through the storm. Since the age of 11, he had lived a life at sea. Sailors were not noted for the refinement of their manners. Go figure. But Newton had a reputation for profanity, coarseness, and debauchery, which even shocked many a sailor. That's bad. <laughs> John Newton had rejected his mother's teachings and had led other sailors into unbelief. Certainly he was beyond hope and beyond saving, even if the scriptures were true. Yet Newton's thoughts began to turn to Christ he found a New Testament and began to read Luke 11:13, seemed to assure him that God might still hear him. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That day at the helm, March 21, 1748, was a day Newton remembered ever after. On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. Many years later, as an old man, Newton wrote in his diary on March 21st, 1805, Not well able to write, but I endeavored to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer, and praise. Only God's amazing grace could and would make a, take a rude, profane slave-trading sailor and transform him into a child of God. Newton never ceased to stand in awe of God's work in his life. John Newton discovered amazing grace from Christianity.com. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now I see T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieves how precious did that grace appear the hour I first 
my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing promise good to me his word my hope secures he will my shield and portion me as long as life endures my chains are gone I've been set free Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing grace. Amen. Won't you please be seated? Brothers and sisters, would you please read with me the responsive reading. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, O God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. So, hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise God. Trust in the Lord above all others. Receive your help from the God of Jacob, who stands forever as the Lord of all. Mortal princes and leaders are mostly untrustworthy, and the best die and return to dust of the earth, to the dust of the earth. But not the Lord. He is eternal, trustworthy, stalwart, and true in his love for all. The Lord watches all and upholds the righteous. He frees prisoners and sets us free of our sins. His reign will last forever, and he shall call us one day to return to him, to honor him, and sing of his glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Chip. Thank you. As uh, uh, we go to prayer and then wait upon you for the offering, uh, I just want to update you on a few things. Uh, I get surveys all the time and studies, some that are, <clears throat> listen, any study can be skewed, okay? We, we know that people who do studies and surveys, um, the numbers can be skewed, but some of these surveys are, are on track, I believe. And one I read this week is disturbing. I'll tell you why it's disturbing. The trend in the American church seems to be uh, mega churches are growing and smaller churches are declining. And there's a couple of reasons for that trend. Um, and that's the disturbing part. By the way, the average attendance now in a evangelical congregation is less than 50 people. Okay, that's average, and that includes the mega churches. By the way, so you know that skews the average. But in the survey, they surveyed a lot of people who go to to you know mega churches and other types of churches. Here was the disturbing statement for me. And it'll be for you. Well, they have you know great music and 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 upbeat praise bands, and they give a message. And there's no heavy theology. Without theology, you have nothing. You know what theology means? The study of God. It's exactly what it means. And. Basically, what I'm seeing, and I hope I'm wrong, but what I'm seeing is uh, we, we have entered into the period that 
Paul kind of prophesies to Timothy where he says that people in the church just want their ears tickled. In other words, stuff without substance. Uh, there are some churches you can go to, you won't even hear a hymn anymore. And one of the reasons for that, Sharon, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the reasons for that is because uh, a lot of the hymns, not all of them, but a lot of the hymns are steeped in theology, good theology. And to ignore them is a mistake, just like it would be to ignore some of the, the good modern music that's theological. Okay, so we need to be careful. The other thing that's upsetting uh, to me as a pastor, and I'm just being very honest with you now as I'm reading the survey, if we are truly born-again Christians, then the Spirit of God indwells us and will cultivate in us, if we let him, a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for... Uh, that intimacy between God and us through Christ. And the Holy Spirit will then illuminate the Word of God when we come to the Word of God devotionally or in study or, you know, in, uh, in a message. And over and above that, periodically we need to be reminded where, would, where we would be today without Christ. Sometimes we get so complacent, we forgot where we came from. Because if it weren't for Christ, I probably wouldn't be here today. I mean, you know, we, you know some people say, well, I never did anything bad. Yes, you did. You know, it's, it's, it's not not to lie in church. Yeah, you did. Well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. You know, let's not pull punches here we forget that we were in the mud living like pigs and that Christ took us out of it. And only he can take us out of it. So just things, you know, the American church is, uh, it's in trouble, okay? And, that, and it's sad to say. Uh, in Ocean County, a lot of churches have closed down and still more are closing. And um, it's not a good thing when, when you see that. Um, so as we go to, to prayer today, I, mean, you know, I, I want to keep praying for the American church. Pray that God would send revival to all, all of the church. And pray that people uh, would have a spiritual awakening. Um, now, if you want to talk politically, economically, and all, listen. If this country is going to go forward as a land of freedom and a country that blesses God... We could better get busy and bless God. And we don't do that anymore. So, also, pray for, we're going to pray for Lorraine. I know she's been having a tough time uh, health-wise. And then we'll, we'll pray for the offering. Can we do that? Okay. Butch, would you come up, please? Okay. Let's pray. Father, uh, you know, as I, I read the different surveys, I read the, the papers, I read articles from the Internet. Uh, Father, you know, pe people just seem to gravitate to entertainment 
more than they do to the love of Christ. And so, Father, I ask that you might send a correction for that. Sunday is a day where we're supposed to come and give God our best, our best as far as our attitude and worship, our best as far as giving, our best as far as ministry. And yet, too many times, even within the evangelical church, Sunday has become a... uh, a situation where we'll go to church if we feel like it. And so, Father, this is a dangerous place to be. I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would wake us up again, that you would um, give us a hunger to know Christ more intimately each day, to spend time with him, to pray to, let, to hear his voice, to read his word. And Father, help us to be faithful to the commission. You, you only gave the church one commission, and that is to go and make disciples. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to build relationships with people and point them to the grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for Lorraine. I know she's had a tough time health-wise. We pray, Father, that whatever it is would be correctable, and we pray that you would restore her back to health. Um, Pray for uh, Tommy, who's caring for her uh, since she's been released from the hospital. So restore her, Father. It would be great to have them back. And, Father, uh, for for those who are under the weather, uh, there are others who are suffering physically, some emotionally. We lift them up before you. And Father, I pray that as we give to the work of the kingdom, that you would both bless the gift and the giver. Help us to be good stewards of the funds you provide. May we glorify you in everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met a superstitious person? Maybe you're, maybe you're one of them. All right. This, you know, the superstitious uh, people. Listen, you know, growing up in an Italian family and my mother coming from Italy, um, where she was in Italy in the Naples area, had a big movement of witchcraft. Okay. So she saw firsthand what a superstition can do and how it can possess people. Um, let, me, let me give you, and listen, you know, my mother read the Bible. 
you know, and, and, you know, I know she believed in God and all, but occasionally she re revert back to superstitions. <laughs> That's not a good thing, all right? So let me give you some. Maybe they sound familiar to you. If you break a mirror, you will have seven years bad luck. I must have break, broken mirrors all my life then. I, I, you know, I don't know. You will have bad luck if you see a black cat on Friday the 13th. Yeah. You live with one. You're, you're in a mess then, right? I mean, okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. All right. If you throw salt over your left shoulder, that will bring you good luck. Not. You're just going to aggravate somebody in back of you. If you pass on this chain letter, you will get money. No, you'll be, you'll be out 66 cents of a stamp. You will receive money if you give pastor so-and-so's, if you get pastor so-and-so's miracle water. You will get money. In the meantime, he's spending your money. This one actually came from a professing believer. It was sad when I heard it. If you buy this holy handkerchief, you will be healed. It's, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. A.W. Tozer, um, a prolific writer, a good theologian, uh, he he said that we are so fickle that if we had reason to, we'd worship a doorknob. There's all sorts of superstition. The same type of thinking sometimes sip, uh, seeps into religion. And I'm going to use that word religion as a ve uh, verse what Christianity ought to be. Christianity should never be a religion. Religion implies ritual, traditions, sometimes superstitions. And, you know, the, the Bible in that mix is not the final authority. The final authority is always trend or, tra uh, or tradition. Whatever the latest trend is, whatever the latest tradition is, uh, you know, we, we can't change. We've done it this way all the time. Well, listen, there's times where we forget why we do what we do and things have to change, okay? But it creeps into especially legalistic and self-righteous religions. So religion isn't exempt from this. Let me, I'm going to preface this for you, and you're going to see this worked out in this passage. The same type of religious leaders who are superficial and legalistic always results in bad theology, which causes grief and false guilt on other people. You know, sometimes people go through tough times that are beyond their control. Isn't that true? I mean, some, you know, I mean, listen, we go through tough times because sometimes it's our own doing, okay? But sometimes people go through tough times that are beyond their control. And, you know, in bad theology, and it's still around today, in bad theology, they would say, oh, 
you're going through tough times because you have sin in your life. No, not the case. Now, if you're going through bad times because you've done something wrong, that's different. But if the circumstances is beyond your control, how dare somebody say you have sin in your life? I'll, let me illustrate that. I knew a woman who struggled uh, with uh, epilepsy, okay? And uh, she had come to the Lord, and, you know, a beautiful conversion, and a couple of people from a church that was being planted in her town came to her door one day, knocked on her door, and they got to talking, you know, she was saying, yeah, read my Bible and, and all. And they asked if there's anything they could pray for her for. And she says, yeah, I still have seizures from, you know, uh, being an epileptic. And one of the women who was there says, well, the reason why you, you, you're having seizures is because you don't have enough faith. And it destroyed her. It destroyed her. You, that's not even graceful. Plus, it's a lie. You know? And so you can see how this stuff can slip in the back door sometimes. Listen, we're going to look at, in this passage, Jesus graciously healing a man who was blind from birth. Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. We don't know the, uh, the extent of the eye damage, but it could be, it could be, he, if he was born with eyeballs, they have deteriorated. And I don't mean to get gross. It's, you know, it's just the way it is sometimes. So when somebody's born blind, you know, nothing is going to reverse that usually except an eye transplant in this modern day, correct? Okay. So here enters Jesus, right? In the beginning of this passage, he, ta he teaches his disciples a, a good lesson about bad theology. So are you ready for it? Okay, here we go. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. That's important. This man was blind from birth, and it wasn't like he was in an accident or somebody threw acid in his face or anything like that. He was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, listen to the question, this is the baggage from a legalistic, superficial religion with bad theology. Rabbi, talking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <laughs> you hear what they say? Well, the parents or him, you know, he did something wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't be blind. No. But this, this was the Pharisees' influence. They said if you have a physical abnormality, it's because you or your parents sin. Do you realize that cuts into the sovereignty of God? Do you realize that when we make statements like that, we are taking God's position, thinking we know why a person is born with a 
challenge, handicapped, I'm going to be politically incorrect, okay? No, listen, all I know is that God doesn't make mistakes, all right? Now, theologically, all disease is a result of original sin, okay? If, there was, if Adam didn't wimp out and never rebelled, we wouldn't have disease. Does that make sense? But because of original sin, there are birth defects that happen, but that sin was not committed by either the parents or the child. See, original sin affects the birth process even sometimes. That's why sometimes people have uh, babies with Down syndrome, you know, spina bifida and other uh, things. It's not because the parents or the child has sinned. It's a result of original sin, which has affected all of us. So what Jesus is saying here to, to the disciples, look, get rid of that bad theology. He says it rather directly. Look. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. How much more direct can he be? But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whoa. You know, I automatically think of David Ring. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy. Even his own, own family, except his mother and his sister, was, uh, told me he would never amount to anything. He would never go to college. He wouldn't, probably wouldn't finish high school. And he wouldn't amount to anything. Then his sister and I took him to an evening service at a church. And some of you may know this story, but it's, it's a great story. At that service, not only did David Ring give his life to Christ, but he says, and I believe him, that Christ has that then called him to be an evangelist. If you know anything about David Ring, it takes you about five minutes to hear him talk. Once, once you're with him for a little bit, you, you'll hear him talk. But to this day, he's booked around the country as an evangelist, right? And, and it's funny, you know, when, when he gives his testimony, you know, he says, you know, they told me I'd never finished school. And he says, I went to college and I completed four years in, in six, right? And then they said, David, you probably wouldn't be able to go to seminary. He went to seminary, completed three years and five. But with God's help, he did it. And then God used him all around the world. In spite of the speech, in spite of this quote-unquote handicap, because, see, when we give our damaged lives to Christ, he can use them in incredible ways. And that's the lesson that he wanted to teach the disciples here. This man didn't sin. Neither did his parents. And yet the Pharisees would insist that they did. The other example on this is uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, right? Uh, you know, in her case, she did something that wasn't wise. She, she dove off a pier in a lake and 
unfortunately hit her head on a rock uh, on the lake bed and broke her neck. And so she ends up being quadriplegic. But even at that, uh, during her journey, and if you ever read any of her stuff, I would urge you to read it because she's so transparent and honest. Uh, she started dating a man um, who was with a church who believed that if you had enough faith, you could be healed. So he brought her to a meeting, and she, in her own words, she went fully believing that she could be healed. And then when it, the call came to come up front, she went up front in faith. Nothing happened. She was devastated. Can God heal? Of course he can. But that's his business. Can we pray for people's healings? Of course, and we ought to. But that's his business. And it caused her a lot of anguish. Shook her to the very foundations of her faith. And yet when, she, when God helped her work through this all, She's being used in mighty ways, even to this day. As long as it is day, Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, what's he say here? I am the light of the world. This is another I am statement. I am the light of the world. This is going to be especially pertinent here because... This blind man has never seen light. Isn't that true? Never seen light, not even when he was born. And, and to the day that Jesus met him, he's never seen light. And yet, I don't know if the blind man heard this, but if he heard, I am the light of the world, that must have spurred some hope. Light, all I know is darkness. Let's see how this goes. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I don't know why. All I know is this is the way he chose to heal the man. And it worked. That's all. You know, people would say, well, why do you, why do you have to spit in the mud? Why couldn't he use water from someplace? Hey, listen, when you get to heaven, ask him. You know, I don't know. It's not a real big theological point here. The point is that, the, that Jesus met the man where he was, and grace extended healing to him through this method. He made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siliam. Siliam is really the way it's said in Hebrew, which means sent. Jesus sent him to the pool. I don't know who led him to the pool. You know, somebody must have because he couldn't see, especially with the mud on his eyes. But he said, go, I'm sending you to the pool, wash. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. I was blind, but now I can see.
What a miracle. The people around him knew this man was blind from birth. The Pharisees saw him begging. That's how he got money to live. That was typical back in that day. And honestly, beggars did well because the Pharisees, <laughs> they were so self-righteous, they would, they would give generously to those who uh, were, were suffering you know, with handicaps because it made them look good. So it was kind of a lucrative thing, but now this man has to figure out a way to make a living, correct? He's no longer blind, but he was willing to exchange begging and darkness for light and life. gets better. You always have the gossipers. By the way, um, gossipers, um, even in the church, do more damage than they realize. God does something miraculously. You know, there's always someone who's going to be there saying, yeah, it's impossible. That is never going to the doctors just didn't pick something up or, you know. And uh, listen, keep your mouth shut, okay? If God decides to do something, give him the glory. People should have been jumping up and down. This man was blind from birth. Now he can see. What a gracious miracle. Instead, they chose to gossip. They chose to gossip. I got a call one day from a uh, husband of a woman uh, who was diagnosed with pelvic cancer. And um, the call was in obedience to James, by the way. It says, if any one of you is sick, let him call the elders of the church. Let them come out pray and anoint you and pray over you. And so you know, I, I asked to meet with both of them beforehand and my question to them was simple. What are you expecting? And this woman, she was such a godly woman. She was incredible. She says, look, you know, we can pray for healing. But if Jesus chooses not to, I'm going to be healed anyhow when he calls me home. And I said, okay, I'll get the men out. We'll come and, and pray around you. And we did. Uh, each man was prepared with some scripture. Uh, her husband was there. He read. Uh, and then she shared some scripture. And we anointed her with oil. And a week later, she goes back to University of Pennsylvania. She had a hole in the pelvis the size of a dime, maybe a little bit bigger, in the bone. And um, it was gone. It was gone. And it wasn't because of me or the men or anything like that. Jesus had chosen to graciously give her some more time. That's his business. But she was prepared either way. Either way. So three years later, I get another call. And they were part of the church. I was a, I was a deacon. And, um, I get another call from, uh, from her 
saying that the cancer has returned in a different part of the body. Uh, and it was like, it was December 1st to 2nd, I'll never forget it. So I said, do you mind if I come over and talk you know, with you and your husband? And she says, no, I would love that. So I stopped over and I, you know, we're talking and I said, tell me where you're at spiritually. She said, Pastor, I'm in a good place. And I said, tell me why. She says, I spoke with Jesus. I said, what happened? She says, all I asked him for was for another Christmas with my family. This is a true story. And I said, okay. I said, can we pray that your transition from this life to the next will be seamless? She said, yeah, I'd like that. Okay, so we prayed. Two days after Christmas, I get a call from her husband saying that she went home to be with the Lord. See, she wasn't ready before. But God gave her more time. Because I knew it was the right time when she said to me, I, I spoke with Jesus. And it's okay. Now, he could have chose not to give her that time. That's between him and her. You know, but it's God's choice. His neighbors, the blind man, and those who had formerly seen him beg, begging asked, isn't this the same man who sat, who used to sit and beg? <laughs> look, at, look at the gossipers. We're going to have to stop after this. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. <laughs> Can you imagine? That leads me to believe maybe his eyes were deformed in some way. I don't know for sure, okay? But it could be, you know, his eyes were restored by the miracle of Christ, and he looked different. But of course, they had to get their two cents in. But the man himself said, I am the man. How, the, how then, they asked, were your eyes opened? <laughs> Listen, if, if you ever come up to me and say, I don't know how to witness to someone, here's the answer. A few sentences. The man they called Jesus, the man said, made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siliam and wash. I, so I went and washed, then I could see. Simple testimony, but true, right? Gee, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, Listen, Jesus found me one day, and I heard the good news that he, that he came to die for my sin, take my place on the cross, and that through simple faith in him, I can be forgiven. You know, everything I did to mess up my life, it could be forgiven. And not only that, he's preparing a home for me when he calls me home. You see, before I met Jesus, I was blind. But now I could see. Where is this man, they asked, who healed the man? I don't know. He didn't see Jesus. 
Do you understand that? All right? Jesus was gone by the time he came back from the, from the pool. So he never saw Jesus, right? I don't know. He says they brought, now they brought him to the Pharisees, the religious PhDs, to investigate, right? They should have had a party. Hey, listen, we're going to ignore your miracle, and we're going to put you through an inquisition. You know why? Because we don't like this man, Jesus. Huh. We'll start this today, and then uh, we'll pick it up next time. Now, on that day, which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, was a Sabbath. So I didn't tell you this going into it, because here's what I love about Jesus. Um, he was always a teacher. He was always correcting bad theology. Do you realize that the, fa the Pharisees and, and the uh, writers of the law put like f 200 laws, man-made laws, around the Ten Commandments, which make no sense at all. And one of those laws, uh, since it says you should keep the, the Sabbath holy, uh, they made a law saying nobody could do any work. You can't cook. You can't. They, they, they have provisions for what you could lift, what you can't lift. They considered healing a violation of the Sabbath. This man did work. They considered Jesus putting the mud on the man's eyes work. So they weren't rejoicing with the man here. They were looking at ways to get Jesus. It was the Sabbath. Jesus did this intentionally. He did six or seven miracles on the Sabbath, intentionally, to show the Pharisees they had bad theology. To show the Pharisees they didn't even know who the Son of God is. One more verse. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, how did you receive your sight? <laughs> Very simply. He put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I say. Listen, Jesus is still in the business of doing miracles. But we cannot demand miracles. We can pray for them, but we can't demand them. And this is where I differ with the name it and claim it uh, you know, pastors and all. <clears throat> I suspect when Jesus calls me home, I'm going to find out how much he spared me over my lifetime from injury or, or stupidity or, you know, what, what, whatever is there, you know, because we take so much for granted. There are times, you know, you leave your house uh, and you're, you, you get delayed by something and you go up the road and there's an accident, right? I mean, yeah, we've, all seen, we've all seen this. But the biggest miracle of all 
is the fact that Jesus saved even me. That's the biggest miracle. There is no bigger miracle. Some of us have experienced seeing our wives give birth to a child. It's a miracle. Although the wives don't think so when they're on the table, it's a miracle. The miracle of life. And, you know, arrogant scientists come along and say, we can clone that baby. Okay. Start with nothing. Because that's how Jesus created. Out of nothing. Well, that's not fair. I need the raw material. Who made the raw material? You can't do it. God did. Miracles happen every day. Miracles happen when people worship together. We may not see them, but they happen. You know why? Satan hates this. He doesn't want this to happen. Miracles happen when people pray together. Answers to prayer may not necessarily be what we want, but they're the best answers because God answers. Miracles happen every time we go to God in confession. 1 John 1, 9. If we sinned, if we confess our sin, that means agree with God that our sin offended him, hurt me, hurt others, repent of that sin, that promises that he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a miracle. When a person comes to Christ, that's a miracle. There's um, good reason in the Bible to believe that heaven has a party when people come to Christ. That's what it ought to be. That's what, been, that's what should have been happening here. But you see, the religious people were blind. Not physically, but spiritually. They may as well have been blind physically they would have been held less accountable Jesus talks about that next time but listen never forget where we came from never forget that before Christ we were blind spiritually never forget the miracles because everyone who comes to Christ is a living miracle let us never take for granted the church because the church was born at Pentecost Remember that? And miracle upon miracles, when Peter started to preach, every person from the nations that were present heard Peter's message in their own language. Only God can do that. Peter was no scholar. He was a fisherman. If Peter knew anything, he probably knew swear words. But how God can take an impetuous, crass fisherman and make him the vehicle of the message of God at Pentecost. It's amazing. That's amazing grace. 
Let's never forget where we came from. We'll pick it up from there next week. You can read ahead. There's a lot more here. So, you know, read ahead. Uh, re you know, we'll finish the entire chapter. I'll give you a recap on what we did today and then finish the entire chapter, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, please, if, you know, if there's anything you remember today, remember how great our God is. Remember that we don't even deserve our salvation. We deserve damnation. But he sent his son to die for me and you. In fact, if you were the only person on this earth, he still would have sent his son to die for you. Do you realize the miracle of the incarnation was a, one of the greatest miracles in all of history? That God took on flesh that Jesus was fully God and fully man. If that were not possible, we would not have a savior. But you see, God did it. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come up, please. In this last song, you know, Chip will introduce it. But again, listen to the words. Um, if you can't sing well, sing loud. Uh, this is a great song, it talks, really about the passage today. And uh, let's give God the glory. So I, I don't have an introduction. You turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome in power our God
if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? Then what can stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God to our higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? Then what can stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Once was lost, but now is found. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Thank you all for coming out today as we close in prayer. Please pray for the American church. Um, it's really heavy on my heart. It's been for a long time. Uh, I saw this coming 30 years ago. And um, Lord willing, God will correct it. It's his church. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for, for our Jesus. Father, we pray that as we go forth from this place that you would help us to bless others, to point them through the, to the grace of the cross, that they would know freedom, that they would know what it's like to see reality in Christ. And Father, I pray your blessing on each one here. Grant them safety in, in the weather. And Father, as we depart, we want to say to you that we love you. Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. Very good. Enjoy your lunch. You're dismissed.